Hey everybody, it's Tiffany Weber. Welcome back to the North Carolina Real Estate Show. I am a real estate attorney in Mooresville, North Carolina at Thomas & Weber. Um, and today I think we're doing a little bit of everything. We've got uh, some questions that have come in from agents in North Carolina. So we are going to talk about, you know, answering generally, not legal advice, but answering their general questions about North Carolina real estate law. <laughs> just a, a, a little ask me anything. We asked our uh, real estate agent friends yesterday if they had anything they would like us to discuss. And we've got some questions that came in over our channel. So we're going to kind of kick it off. One of our, our uh, folks that follow, follow us on Facebook asked about selling life estates. Now, mm -hmm. I didn't know what a life estate was when you explained it to me. So um Start off with what is a life estate yeah. and how it's helpful for people. So uh, first off, a life estate is, I'm going to talk about some hypothetical people. So I think this will help everybody follow along a little better. Um, imagine Susie Seller. Um, she owns a piece of property and um, let's say she wants to give it to someone when she passes away. Um uh, but she doesn't necessarily want to do that through her will. So she may have reasons from her accountant or from her estate planning attorney that have told her, hey, this is the better way to do it. But what she's decided to do is give the property to the other person. We'll call it Bob Byer um, or the remainder person. So Robbie Remainderman. Jeez, <laughs> I know because we're going to need Bob Byer in a minute. Um, so Susie gives it to Rob. But what she does is in that deed, she reserves for herself a life estate, meaning she has the right to use the property, occupy, rent, essentially have almost every right of ownership for as long as she is living. And when she passes away, Robbie gets everything. Uh, so this is when Bob Byer comes in. He he sees this nice piece of property that, that Susie's got, and he's like, yeah, that's I want that going to buy it. I'm going to put in an offer. Um, and Susie's like, you know what? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll sell it to you. And then during the course of the title search, Bob Byer finds out, oh, Susie doesn't actually own the whole property. She has a life estate. So what can Susie actually give to Bob? In general, when you own property um, or if you have some interest in property, you can only give away what you have. So if you have less than full fee simple ownership, then you can only give that. So Susie has the right to use and enjoy the property during her life. So would she technically sell the property? That she would be her, selling the ownership stake in the property. She to? doesn't have an ownership stake. She mm. has a life estate. So she is selling the right to use the property for her life. So what Bob would be buying is the right to use the property during Susie's life. Bob's betting on Susie living forever. Yes, he sure is. Um, we have a question here. I'm going to try and read it. I can't. I don't have my glasses <laughs> He doesn't on. have his glasses on. Uh, happy Monday. If I buy a property, I think this is a good question too. That's why I'm reading it right now. If I buy a property under my LLC, would my soon-to-be ex-husband have any rights? I think this is hmm. very, um, I think it is more common than we would expect. Okay. So this one is, is the LLC marital property? Basically. That's, that's, that's the, the question. That's the question. Um, so. I the, think it depends. Did it, it did does. it get was it done at the beginning? Well, it's going to be determined during equitable distribution. Mm. Um, so if the LLC, like if you're 
spouse has rights to it during the distribution of your estate or of the marital estate, I should say, during that equitable distribution process in North Carolina, then possibly, I don't know. I would say um, if you're about to do that, get potentially two lawyers involved, the real estate lawyer and your uh, family lawyer, your divorce lawyer, to review to make sure that when that you're not buying that property and then making it now subject to division in the equitable distribution action. We see that sometimes even when an LLC is not involved, someone wants to buy, you know, they're in the process of getting divorced. They don't have a separation agreement yet. They don't have a free trader, prenup, postnup, et cetera. They don't have anything like that. So they're buying property, but then subjecting it to division. Let's see, another question. Um, this one came from our another Facebook friend of ours. He's been on the the live before. I've seen his name pop up. Um, and I, I don't quite understand the question. I think you understand it better mm-hmm. than me. Um, but it says, what can make your process easier for us to provide up front? I'm pretty sure he's a real estate agent or yeah. a lender. Or I can't remember, but I know he's in the real estate business. Yeah. And he said, what, what can we do for you to make it easier? I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> so, does, so does my staff. Um <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to, I've got a lot of bullet points here, so I'm going to... Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Um, Provide your client's contact information to us with the contract. I understand there may be reasons why you don't want to actually put it on the contract so that the buyer and seller aren't just being like, oh, well, there's the buyer's email address. Let me just email them directly. Get it. Give it to the attorney, though. Um, So if it's not on the contract itself in those stand in the standard form where that contact information goes when you send the contract to the attorney put the information in the email or get it to us somehow up front um, next thing put the contract if the if the buyer is getting a loan identify them on the contract the same way that they applied for the loan we get all the time um you know we'll get a contract for let's say Debbie Smith. That's the name that was used on the contract. So we send out an engagement letter to Debbie. I bet her name's she, Deborah. And she is mad. She said, Debbie is, that's just my nickname. This needs to be correct. It needs to be legal. It's Deborah. Okay, we're happy. Great. Awesome. Um, your contract says Debbie, though. <laughs> that's how we got your information. The easiest way to do that is find out how your clients applied for the loan or intend to apply for the loan, how they're going to have their names on that loan application, and make that how you put the contract. Um, Next thing, will all parties be at closing? Tell us that. If you know that going up front, that there is zero chance that your buyers can be at closing and it has to be a mail away, tell us then. (laughs) Don't tell us four days before closing, like, oh, by the way, um, or the day before oh, we need to just set this up as a mail away. It's not just to just set it up. It's a lot more that goes into it than just that. Next thing, if you're negotiating a seller credit, uh, involve your lender in that process because it, I think it's really common now that you know sellers want to see that there's a qualified buyer, meaning they've already identified their lender and given information to the lender. Talk to the lender and say, hey, um, we're negotiating a seller credit. Will all of this be able to be used towards closing costs? Because it's one of those, if you don't use it, you lose it type things. I think this one came from, so these are coming from your YouTube videos, past YouTube videos you've done. I think this came from one of your videos about being a lawyer. Okay. Um, I think you're a good uh, person about this one. What's a good specialization? You can't specialize in law? In North Carolina, you can't call yourself a specialist specialist unless you have the exam. 
what's a good specialization for introverts? Probably not litigation, okay? No. It, not not um, court appearance heavy litigation. If you are a junior gonna... associate and you're writing all the time, great. So the, I had two I had two thoughts. Estate planning, I feel like, is a pretty uh, one-on-one, like you get to be more interpersonal and like mm-hmm. really talk to one or two individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, or litigation, but you're the research person. Like you're not the one going to court. Like you're the behind-the-scenes writer, research. Yeah, you're not taking depots. You're not yeah. arguing. You're, you know, like you, you have less in the, what is more typical of a junior associate in a bigger firm. Probably the same for like transactional lawyers that don't, do residential real estate, so M&A, mergers and acquisitions, and you're not like the partner that brings in the clients, you're the person that's behind the scenes doing the work. That's a lot of solitary work. Next question that came in over the weekend, I'm trying to buy a piece of land in Texas, and I was told by the seller that that they just received an email from a historic district that there may be a historic gravesite on the land. Should I risk buying this still? LOL. One, you can't answer in Texas. Texas. You have no idea. Two, this sounds like a real estate investing question, and like, well, you're not a real estate investor to know if it's. I can't answer the question, but it raises questions to consider. One, what are the implications of there being a historic site? So, like, if this was in North Carolina and you're buying the property in North Carolina, and you were told, "Oh, this is a historic property." Okay, well, we need to look at zoning. What does that mean? What are the requirements? What are the things you're no longer allowed to do with that property because of its designation as yeah, historic? Usually it's like you can't change or alter certain pieces of the outside of the house because of, um, you know, all the historic needs the same out exterior painting or whatever. Depends on the be. county that you're yeah. in. It depends on a lot of things, but there are going to be that designation Lots brings with it. Yeah. Brings with it some things that you cannot do. So you need to think about what is it that you wanted to do with the property and what can you no longer do with the property because you found out that it's historic. And if those two things overlap, yeah, probably not the, I mean, why buy a property you can't do what you want with? Last question I got from our YouTube channel from this weekend. Always wondered if you can petition a judge to grant, grant you a property that's been abandoned and the assessor's office took out the ability to pay taxes. I believe the property should have been sold in a tax sale, but it never was. Do you know if this is possible? So that there is a mechanism to go to court and ask for a property to be declared yours. It's called a quiet title action, but you need to have some rights in the property. So you're going to have to be able to demonstrate that it should be yours. So if you, you know, in my experience, if you are someone who just saw a property and you're like, I want that property, but I have no way to acquire it, highly unlikely that you're going to petition, you know, file your quiet title action and be able to demonstrate that you are, in fact, the rightful owner of the property. So, you know, quiet title is best used whenever you have an interest in the property that falls short somehow. Like maybe the the deed wasn't perfectly drafted or um, you know, there's just some other defect that needs to be resolved, or you actually don't have defective title, but someone is challenging you to claim that they have a superior interest to you. So the quiet title action would be to settle that and identify through the court system who is the rightful owner of the property. So there is a way. So to answer the question, can I petition a judge? Meaning, can I file a lawsuit in North Carolina to establish that a property is mine? Yes. Will you be successful on those facts? I have no idea. Um, so you, you know, know the facts. 
yeah, you're going to have to be, uh, you're going to have to be able to demonstrate to the court that you are the superior owner of the property. Thanks everybody for listening to the North Carolina Real Estate Show. I'm Tiffany Weber at Thomas & Weber in Mooresville, North Carolina, and we will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>